This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Uh, doing something a little different today. Uh, you uh, out there in the radio land, uh, you can only hear me, but you, you know how some people do the the video camera with their radio program. I, I'm trying that. It's not live video. I'm just going to record it and post it. See how it goes. I, personally, I don't see how this is. I don't know. You know, useful or, or worthwhile, but. There are some who have asked for it and want to give it a try, so I thought I would do this. And maybe it'll bring a few uh, hits on my YouTube channel, which I'll, I'll get posted later on when I get a, enough videos up there that it, it would make it worthwhile. You know, I, I like to go to these websites. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. It's not going to be on the video here, but I, I go to sometimes this website called ChristianHeadlines.com. You know, I, I do sometimes do a, here's what's in the news, and here's how the Christian should respond, and and here's why I kind of, not kind of, this is why I haven't been doing this lately. Let me just read you the top headlines. <clears throat> um, San Antonio spends at least $315,000 to block Chick-fil-A from airport. <sighs> okay. Really? I mean, I can let's click on it. Let's see what that's about. Why what why would they do that? So, uh San Antonio's legal fight to keep Chick-fil-A out of its airport has cost the city more than $300,000. The city legal fees in a pair of lawsuits to the state. Okay. So you, they're Okay, yeah, so they're saying the same thing again there. Uh, they voted last year to exclude them uh, due to the company's donations to Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Council members claim the restaurant has a history of anti-LGBT discrimination. Dumb. Just plain dumb. I don't... Why? Why would a, a city do that? Why, why would they do that? Uh, okay. Woman drives car into oncoming traffic to test her faith. Two are injured. Ugh. South Dakota lawmakers introduced bill outlawing gender reassignment procedures on minors. Well, that's good, but it baffles my mind that, that we have come to this. It, you see how frustrated? I mean, if you see me on video, you can tell I'm, ugh, I'm frustrated. I can't. It just blows my mind. My wife and I were studying 1 John this morning. We're in chapter 3. In fact, let me grab my Bible. Where's my Bible? Oh, there it is. Way over here. In 1 John, let me turn my Bible over there. I just want to make, read you this passage we were studying. And in chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And as soon as I read that, I stopped. I looked at her. I said, how, how can you not be surprised? I'm always baffled. And here's John telling us, don't be surprised that the world hates you. But it is a surprise. I'm sorry, John. I'm trying to not be shocked and surprised. We, 
we're, we, we want to submit to government. We want peace with all men. We want everyone to have equal rights, even unborn children. And uh, I read headlines like this, and it just, oh, man. Folks, really? They hate the truth so much. They don't like it because truth condemns them. It, we're not, we are not condemning them. The life we live condemns them. The things we teach from the Word of God condemns them. We're not telling them, you have to do this now or anything like that. We're just letting them know, hey, God sent his word. He sent his son. And here's what he says. And we all have to make a choice. And man, they don't like they don't like to hear that. Well, okay. Oh, oh if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 3. 2. Sorry, James chapter 2. I want to talk about verbal invisible faith. I want to get away from the headlines. I want to get away from the news cycle. I want to get away from impeachment and presidential debates. It's just, oh, tired of it. In this section, James 2, verses 14 to 26, it it brings us to a, a crucial point in the epistle. James here is discussing the relationship between what we believe and what we do. And this becomes, uh, you know, important, vitally important, because some don't have the kind of faith that saves. And there's two kinds of faiths under consideration here. One is an intellectual, theological faith. It is what one says, okay? It is. Therefore, it's just verbal only. That's all it is. The other is a faith that is seen. It is revealed in action. Uh, it's revealed in their works. It's an obedient faith. And so it, it's a... Visible faith. And James's uh, thesis is found right here in verse 14, where he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? Man, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I won't get into that. I had a... Uh, a good introductory story on this, but I guess I decided not to do that. In fact, I just realized I don't have all my notes here. What what is going on? What have I done? That's not it. This doesn't look right. Why do I have Colossians here with this? Uh Uh-oh. Unprepared. Here it is. This is it, right? There it is. That's what I'm looking for. And so, you get that verbal and visible faith. Sorry about that, folks. And James is a a thematic verse there, verse 14, and he's going to substantiate his thesis, that verse 14 there, in six ways. He's going to give us six uh, uh, points on this. And he starts off in verses 15 to 17 with a hypothetical illustration. Let me read that for you. He says, if a brother or a sister is without clothing in, and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. This is a hypothetical situation. Let's work this out. Okay. So imagine, I know it's easy to understand what he's saying there, but I, I want us to put it in our minds. If a brother or a sister, you know, they come knocking on the door, 
and you open up the door, you can tell, boy, they haven't been eating. They're dirty. Uh, I think the literal here in the Greek translation is they have, they're naked. There's no clothes. That's just say they're tattered clothing and dirty. It's pretty clear they are, they're in great need of clothing there. And they're uh, emaciated. They're, they're needing food. They need water. And they're begging you for help. And you say, oh, my heart goes out to you. I hope and pray that you find peace. I hope and I pray that you find the sustenance to fill your tummy to give you strength. Good luck. I'll be praying for you. And you shut the door. And in your pantry, you have bread, you have butter, you have everything you need in the fridge, you got water on tap, you have extra clothing, and you don't give them what is needful. But you, you talk a big talk, oh, I want you to get those things, but you do nothing for it. So, if that's it, faith, if it has no works, is dead. So there's two kinds of faiths. Here's another one. One is a faith that has works. And then two, here's another faith that is dead. It is a dead faith. In other words, this guy who came knocking on the door, he would have got the same response from a dead man as he's getting from from this guy in the door, from you or whomever it might be. That's not, you know, they, they have a professing faith, faith, but they don't have an acting faith. You know that word faith found all throughout the New Testament. Uh, and, and words have definition in their context only. For example, faith, you, you have a supernatural faith, right? Uh, the miraculous kind of faith. You see that in Matthew 20, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13. That's a supernatural faith. That's not the kind of faith James is talking about here. There's the system of beliefs, the doctrinal type of faith from Jude, verse 3, Ephesians 4 and 5, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. That is a doctrine and system of belief faith, that is not the kind of faith James is talking about here. You have a personal convictions kind of faith. That's from Romans chapter 14. That's the, the kind where you have an opinion where, you know, it's my opinion that if I eat peas and corn, oh man, that's a sin. Offends my conscience. Not really, but in the context of Romans, those who eat meat offered to idols, if they think it's a sin, it's a sin for them. It's a personal faith. It may be a sin for them, but maybe not for you. definitely won't be for me, but it would be for you, perhaps. So that's a personal faith. And then there's the saving faith, a belief leading to obedience, like Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Belief leading to obedience, Hebrews 11.1, 1. Ephesians 2.8, James 2.14-26. This is the kind of faith James is talking about here. And so he has this hypothetical illustration, that person coming to the door, and you don't help them out professing faith. There's no evidence of that faith whatsoever. If there was, you'd do something about it, won't you? Well, you would. You would. And so, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. And now, you'd think that'd be a slam dunk case. That's it. It's over. But James anticipates that someone might have an argument to this. So he says in verse 18, but someone may well say, and then the New American Standard has some quotes there. They start the quote right there, and they don't end the quote till the very end of verse 18. 
So it would say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works, end quote. Uh, now, the quotes and, and you know, all the kind of punctuation is not in the Greek. We have to study things out and, and determine where we think these punctuations might be. New American Standard Translators thinks it's that whole of that verse there. It's not. I don't believe it's, it is, I should say. I think it goes like this. But someone may well say, quote, you have faith and I have works, end quote. Then James opines on that and says, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And here's what's going on. This is what I think is happening. The person talking says, okay, James, I get your your point on the hypothetical illustration, but some have faith, okay? Some have the gift of faith, and some have works. Some have the gift of works, and they're they're different. They're not brought together like the way you think. And so James says, okay. If that's the way you think, show me your faith without works. Waiting. You can't. You can profess all you want. But if you don't show it, what good is it? Well, then James said, well, I'll show you my faith by my works. Even uh, John the baptizer said to the Pharisees, who warned you of the wrath to come, uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What is he asking for? You really believe? Let's see it. And until we do, get out of here, pal. You know, you're, you you got to have a, a faith that leads to obedience. So that's the anticipated argument. And he's not done yet. From here, verses 19 and 20, here's a comparative analogy. You believe. So maybe, maybe he's talking to that same guy, or maybe he's just talking to his uh, readers that he's writing to, but either one. You believe that God is one. You do well. And that is doing well. That is good. You believe that in God. You believe God is one. That's good. I, I got a footnote here on the New American Standard. Uh, you believe there is one God. There's no other. You believe in the one true God. All right, yeah. Yeah, you're doing good. That's what we want. God is one. And that is good. Uh, just like I like to use the illustration of Christmas. I know some folks don't like to celebrate Christmas because it's uh, it is not the day Jesus was born. We should not be. They'll go to Romans. We shouldn't be elevating one day above another. So they see it as that personal conviction. Okay, it's a personal conviction. Therefore, okay, they sh- they shouldn't celebrate it. I wouldn't force them. I wouldn't push things on them. And so, no problem. I do. And I think it's good that people in the world, those who are outside of Christ, are thinking about the things of Christ at this time. That's good. It provides opportunities. doesn't mean they're saved. It doesn't mean they're moving in the right direction. But opportunities arise from it. You believe that God is one. You do well, he says in verse 19. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons also believe. What he's saying there is that, hey, they had a chance to choose, and they chose not to. They believe, and they're not saved. Okay? But are you willing, verse 20, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? How true that is. Foolish fellow. That word foolish is empty-headed. You're not thinking straight. You're not thinking the proper way. 
And then he restates his thesis a little different. Faith without works is useless. What good is your faith? It's dead. It's useless. It does no good. I believe. Prove it. Where's your works? Well, I don't do works. <laughs> so it hasn't affected you. It hasn't affected you like it did Abraham and Rahab. Let's take a look at them. That's the, the example he's going to give. He goes, Abraham first. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Great example. And so here James selects that occasion when God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, go uh, sacrifice him up on that uh, mountain that he was going to show him. Genesis chapter 22. Why would Abraham be willing to do that? Isaac was the means that God was going to fulfill his promise to him and that he would be the father of a great nation, of a multitude. And so sacrificing Isaac would mean an end to that fulfillment, an end to that promise. But Abraham was not only willing, but he got right up, didn't question it, and just did what God said. Really? Hebrews eleven nineteen lets us understand. He had confidence that God would still fulfill his promise in any way he chose. He didn't know how God was going to fulfill it through Isaac, but he knew he would fulfill it through Isaac. All right. Abraham's actions in the uh, Isaac sacrifice did not justify his faith, but it did justify him before God. Now, the works of Abraham were not meritorious works. You know, he wasn't trying to earn salvation. Rather, they were works of obedience. They proved his faith was genuine. And it is a genuine faith, like Abraham's, that brings a declaration from God that a man is righteous. Abraham's actions exhibited his faith in God. Now, what if, what if Abraham refused? What if he said, you know, I love my son, God, this is the promise, I, I can't believe this, I'm not doing it. Then what? Would he be justified? No. It's proving his, what his faith really is. There is none. He didn't have faith in God. You see that? And so James declares in verse 22 that Abraham, there was not just a mere profession of faith, he says there in verse 22, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected, brought to its intended end, brought to completion. And this, uh, or by, by Abraham acting on his faith, he completed genuine faith by combining that belief and that behavior. And, and so James concludes there in 23, and that scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Now I want to read something here. from This is from Guy Orbison Jr. on this passage. I just like the way he put it all together. He says this, the passage which taught us that Abraham was justified, that is, declared righteous, Genesis 15, 6, was fully satisfied 
when Abraham exhibited his great faith in God by his works. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation of people through his own son, Genesis 15. And Abraham believed God, even when he did not have that son. But some 30 years later, when he takes Isaac to be sacrificed, he shows the reality of his belief in God. His faith was tested, and it met the challenge by being obedient. The scripture was fulfilled, and God's pronouncement of righteousness was vindicated. Abraham was justified by God by means of his faith, but it was not merely a verbal faith. Thus, God regarded and treated Abraham as a friend. And a friend is someone with whom we have a lasting, intimate relationship. And then we go down here to the example of Rahab. Now, you can't get any different between the two. Let's read the passage. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and set them out by another way? Oh, very different from Abraham. Abraham was a Jew. She was a Gentile. He was chosen by God. She was a heathen. Abraham Abraham was a godly man. She could never shake the title harlot, could she? Look, Look it up. She can never get rid of it. God, uh, Abraham was called the friend of God. She was among the enemies of God. Yet they had that one thing in common, faith. Rahab had heard of all the great things that the God of Israel had done, and she came to believe in him. When Joshua sent out the two spies, she confessed uh, her belief to them. Then she exhibited that belief by going against the objective as her objectives of her own people. She hid the spies up in her roof. She also did what those men required of her to tie, bring her family in, say everyone stay in the house, tie that scarlet uh, uh, fabric to her, her window or thread. And she did all this because she believed in the God of Israel. Her faith led her to do something, didn't it? And so, like Abraham, she was justified by the faith or by a faith exhibited in works. And then James brings it all to a close with this last verse, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. He's talking about the, he's giving a comparative uh, analogy here between the body and spirit and works and faith. So, the body, my body, you know, it works, it, it's, it's able to work because there, my spirit's in it, my mind and my heart, not the literal mind, literal heart, it's our spirit size, it's who I am. And when my body dies and can no longer function, my spirit will depart from the body. The body will be dead. And my spirit can't stay in this realm, can it? It goes on to the spiritual realm. The two cannot live here without each other. And so they they depart. Same thing with faith and works. Faith, like the body, without works, like the spirit, is dead. Lifeless and useless As the Spirit gives life to the body, so works gives life to faith. Works and faith are as dependent upon one another as the body and the Spirit within. Faith without works is dead. And so the biblical idea of true saving faith is always an obedient faith. And this is a passage that needs to be discussed. We need to think through these things. What is it saying? What does it mean? Jesus said, 
He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Not that baptism, your act and your works are saving you. No. I agree with my denominational friends out there. Baptism is, uh, um, is how does that go? An outward, oh yeah, an outward sign of an inward faith. That's what baptism is. An outward sign of an inward faith. That's true. That is true. That's exactly what it is. It's also commanded by God. He's testing your faith even right there off the bat. Do you believe that Jesus said to do that? Do you believe the words of Peter? In 1 Peter 3.21, baptism does now also save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Think about these things. Genuine faith is not merely verbal. It is visible. And Jesus, of course, is writing to people who have already been baptized. He is telling Christians that if you claim to be followers of Christ, then it will be evident in your actions. If you are a Christian, James is saying, very bluntly, put up or shut up. And that's true for all of us. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you if you're part of the video program uh, for being here. Like I said to those on the radio, I'm going to get the website out there eventually. I'm going to wait till I get some more product up there for you to view. I hope this works out. Uh, I don't know. Uh, But and when I do get it, you might be able to find it on the front of our home website, www.nbcoc.net. You click on that radio mic there, and uh, it's down below, and it'll take you to this program and all the previous programs. And hopefully, maybe we'll eventually we'll get the YouTube link up there as well, and you can find this uh, episode as well as others. And here's what I'm planning on doing with that. Not only am I going to have just the radio program, but... I'm putting together some encouraging videos, not not of me, which you know, no one wants to look at my ugly mug. You can't do that for very long and be encouraged. But not just that. I'm going to uh, put up some videos where it's got some short little writings with some music and pictures. It's meant to be encouraging and strengthening for you. Maybe those will be helpful. I want to get some other stuff up there as well, separate and apart from these things, some short little Bible studies, and I hope they become useful for you and and others as well. So think about these things. Read the passage in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And as always, may the Lord God be with you and bless you in all that you do. Thank you, and take care. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.